1: Hope everybody's doing well today. I want to welcome everybody to the Unimpressed Podcast today. And today we have a special guest on the Unimpressed Podcast, Mr. Ron Days. Glad Ron came down to talk to us about Gullah and all his, you know, thought processes, his books, information in the books, and kind of diving deep. So welcome, Ron. Thank you very much. Glad to be here the intelligence behind the language yes and how that can be misconstrued or The narrative of what people think it is that they put out in the community. Right. So let's talk about that a little bit. Gullah
0: Geechee language is a part of Gullah Geechee culture and heritage, uh, which uh, derived from uh, enslaved West Africans who were brought to this country during the 17 and 1800s for the production of cash crops. In this community, primarily rice. And also there was famed Sea Island cotton. Uh, the language of uh, Gullah Geechee people began on the slave ships and in the slave prisons where uh, the enslaved people were populated together, coming from numerous countries, speaking different dialects and languages, and they had to develop a way of communicating that everyone could understand. They were also introduced to the languages of numerous captors, the British, the Portuguese, the French, uh, the Spanish as well as others. So for years, history books have stated and people have thought that people or Gullah Gigi people speak in this strange way because of low intelligence or thick lips or big tongues as a way of throwing shade at West African heritage, but it took great skill to develop this speech way uh, so that everyone ev- could communicate, understand one another. Um, and that it has been maintained for centuries. It is still spoken to this. Uh, When the Africans were brought to the Sea Island plantations, which we know spanned all from the Carolina and Georgia colonies to date, North Carolina and South Carolina, Georgia and northern Florida, on the Sea Island communities, they were not connected by bridges. They were isolated by the waterways. So sometimes there were hundreds of thousands of Africans to 100 or fewer white people, uh, and that's why to this day in communities like Charleston, Mount Pleasant, Savannah, Georgia, Buford County, my home place, yeah. Georgetown, there are still older whites who speak Geechee fluently because they grew up at a time where there was a large West African presence uh-huh. in their
1: communities. Well, why don't you? Why do you think we don't hear more about it? than well, we do. What, why we don't hear more about M- it? More about it. Why is it? You know, embrace embrace the right way because when I think about it, when you say it's a combination, when I first came to Charleston, my first—I never heard it before, but my first instinct was French, Uh right? So, like, I'm not tying it to West Africans; I'm tying it to a French process, you know, thought process. That's just what I picked up on. You know what I'm saying? So, well, Belleguiche is a creolized. Language. Gotcha.
0: A Creole in the small C. Galagichi is similar to the Creole with a capital C that's spoken in Louisiana, which is a French-based language. Gotcha. But uh Galaguchi is an English-based language, and there are also numerous West African root words, um, expressions that are a part of the speech way. For years, it was considered as bad English, broken English, or substandard English. But it has been discovered that many of the words come from numerous West African languages. And the West African countries from which Gullah Geechee people have hailed include the present-day countries of Senegal, Gambia, Guinea, Guinea-Bissau, Sierra Leone, and Liberia. But not only there, because those were the rice coast countries. Uh, Africans also were enslaved from the Gold Coast countries, Ghana, Nigeria, Benin, uh, as well as West Central African countries, including angola congo there are words spoken today that are from those west african speech ways like gumbo gumbo when the africans in the rice fields and it was a slippery slick kind of mud yeah. uh africans called it gumbo because it reminded them of the okra from their homelands. When you think of gumbo, it uh-huh. includes okra yeah. and other things that are uh, mixed uh, together. In Ghana, uh, the word bobo means, bobo means a male child born on a Monday. In the trade language of Sierra Leone, krio, K-R-I-O, uh-huh. bobo means a male child or a boy. So, perhaps you may have not heard the word Bobo before, but have you heard the word Bubba? Baba, yeah. Oh, it that. comes from Bobo. Okay. Those West African languages. Kuda is a West African word. And let's see. Do you know what a kuda is? A small animal that got a hard back, and it walks slow, slow upon the ground. Now, I double the word, so that means very much so. Um, not, a small animal with a have, what kind of back? With a head back, a head back, head, and it walks slow, slow on the ground. Gotcha. What animal am I speaking
1: of? (laughs) A
0: small animal with a head back,
1: a head back, and it walks slow, slow on the ground. I have no idea. A turtle. A turtle. Okay, head back. Yeah, got it. Had. a head back. Gotcha. Gotcha. (laughs) Um,
0: and uh, those are some of those expressions hailing from our West African heritage.
1: Well, that's that's kind of, I mean, that's the differentiation. That's the first I've ever heard that. The Creole. Mm-hmm. To, so Gullah language would be considered English in the Charleston, in this part of the world, would be considered English Gullah compared to the Creole type language. English-based Gullah, and, yes. Yeah, would be different French-based in New Orleans. You got them. Got it. Mm -hmm. Got it. All right, cool, (laughs) cool. Why do you think this originated from West Africa?
0: Well, um, when the Europeans uh, came to this area during the 1700s and saw that it it was fertile ground for the production of rice believe it or not they did not know a thing about rice production so they went to parts of the world where uh, such as the rice coast of africa where rice has been grown successfully for hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years and what did they do they enslaved the those people they kidnapped them brought them from their homelands mm-hmm. and worked the, and enslaved them worked them Uh, treated them as though they were inferior to themselves. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that is how rice was grown, that the economy of South Carolina, uh, the Carolina colony, grew to be as uh, prominent as it was. The enslavers, or the uh, plantation owners at that time, they rivaled the ro- the royalty of european countries
1: gotcha so you could be you're at your house hanging out and you had rice farms and mm-hmm. then and because these guys show up and they knew they needed people who had this this type of talent mm-hmm. they just started skill. S- they just started knowledge, yeah they just started snatching people up yes and bring them over here to to make money right
0: but not only that there was a was enslavement it brought about a devaluation of the humanity of these people. To think, uh, to have them and to have others believe that they were less than human so that they could work them and make money, income, gotcha.
1: because of their labor. Gotcha. So in actuality, a guy, that, a guy that didn't have the skill and didn't know how to do the skill of rice, <laughs> planting and growing, went to somebody that had the skill— and then tried to say they, they had these skills, but they're still not that intelligent. And that's part of yeah. the
0: story that I'd like readers to consider, to learn. Mm-hmm. In my, one of my most recent books, We Wear the Mask, Unraveled Truths in a Pre-Gullah Community. Um, it is set during the 1800s mm-hmm. on a Sea Island cotton plantation on St. Helena Island, South Carolina. Okay. It involves a lot of spirituality because there's the enslaver family, mm-hmm. and they are... Um, the
1: McLeod. The said.
0: McLeod's family. Um, they are William Billy McBride McLeod, his wife Hagatha McLeod, and his niece Belle Rose Marie Hampton. There are also the enslaved family. There's the family of uh, Cuffey uh, and his wife and his older son. Now, Cuffey is a, is a name, it's an African name from the country of Ghana, a Gold Coast country. Cuffey is uh, uh, the name of a male child born on a Friday. And I actually had an uncle, a living uncle, named Cuffy, Cuffy. who had been born on a Friday. Okay. Because that's part of the heritage, the culture... Of West African communities and those of their Gullah Geechee descendants. Not so much today, but giving the names of the day that an individual is born, name of the day of the week. There is also a practice of giving a basket name. You're familiar with baskets, sweetgrass basket, but there yeah. was a basket name that would be given that had some connection or some it revealed something about the what occurred at the time of a child's birth mm-hmm. if the mother just before birth had eaten some sweet confection. The basket name could have been Sweet Mouth okay. of the child that was born, and there's the and en- family of the enslaved people, as well as there these three animals. Mm-hmm. Three animals on this plantation. And they are Juba Bunny Rabbit, there's Sydney Steed, mm-hmm. and Celia Mudsnake. Now, in the story, the enslaver family begins to have dreams, nightmares. Each one of them sees one of these three animals. They're mm-hmm. horrified because they have these three black animals. Okay. And the... The family of the en- families of the enslaved people—they mm-hmm. wonder why are they so you know—they uh, to learn that they're having these dreams about these animals. There's nothing to fear because dreams mean something that's mm-hmm. part of the spirituality of Galagichi people. And at the end of the story, those ensla- those animal characters create a whole new story uh, from what. One that has been told at the beginning
1: of the book. The book begins. Now, let me ask you this. Sure. Let me ask you this. You know, when you think about spirituality, mm-hmm. right, if these West Africans were very spiritual people, mm-hmm. right, and these, these people who needed this intelligence, this trade, right, or this ability to, to make rice, so they, they bring these spiritual people here. And then here, on this part of the world, there's their own indigenous people. Get up to 60% off during Burroughs Memorial Day sale at burrowcom slash ACAST. That's burrowcom slash ACAST. burrowcom slash ACAST. Well, there's spirit, indigenous spiritual people in this part of the world, and the one the one kind of in the middle here is the person that's causing all the problem with no spirituality.
0: Well, we can say there's no spirituality or there's a different interpretation of that individual spirituality, or there is a misunderstanding that in whatever way these indigenous people or these African or native people, Mm -hmm. that there's something wrong with their view of spirituality. Mm -hmm. We must make them think that the way we think about Mm -hmm. spirituality is the only true
1: way that it should be considered. And probably so if they saw strong spirituality from indigenous people here, the West Africans, different types of people that are recognized for this and they pull their own elements Mm -hmm. of what they think spirituality is when it's not true to the earth. Correct. Right. They can create their own narrative of what it is today. Correct. (laughs) True. (laughs) Okay. All right. So going back to your book, I'm yeah. just got <laughs> Well, it begins once upon a time
0: before the word Gullah resonated with power and before understanding prevailed that the African ancestors passed power on to their descendants. Bukra saw an owl during the day. Enslaved Africans eyed a kingfisher pass their way. Animals sensed and resolved problems and made them okay. And the enslaved were expectant that nature would have lots to say. Mm-hmm. Now, do you, are you
1: familiar with the word bakra? Bakra. Now, mm-hmm. I think I heard you say that before. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now,
0: bakra is a Galagichi expression for yeah. a
1: white person. It used to be a white man. But yeah. it could
0: be a white man, woman, or a child, a white person. Yeah. And there are certain uh, signs if you see certain things, what they're supposed to mean. Um, seeing an owl during the daytime signifies either a warning of an impending danger, a message about a major transition in your life, or a calling to investigate your intuitive side for answers. To see a kingfisher bird communicates that you should listen to your visions and dreams. It symbolizes that you should become that you should overcome your fears of the unknown and plunge into something new. Bakra is a Galagiji expression for a white person, so the enslaved in this story are in tune with their sensibilities and the environment as they survive a danger, while the enslavers are in need of recognizing this ability in order to deal with an impending danger. Having these dreams, these nightmares, what do they mean? Maybe it has something to do with their regard or disregard of spirituality. Mm -hmm. Both are aware of it and both react differently. And nature, through the animals, Mm -hmm. are expectant. Look at what's happening. I believe I intimated earlier at the end of the story, it's the animals who write, they create a whole new narrative of a story that has been told at the beginning.
1: Now, now what you personally, when you're talking about ancestral lineage, Mm -hmm. how did you and your family deal about with ancestral lineage?
0: How did my family and I...
1: How did you look at that? How did you view that
0: concept? Growing up on St. Helena Island, South Carolina, um, as uh, most of my paternal... Lineage um, did, Um, and my mother's family, if I understood correctly, uh, there were relatives who were brought as the plantation area from Virginia to Saint Helena Island. So, as far as I knew, we were all from Saint Helena Island, and Saint Helena Island uh, was the home of the Penn School, which was the first school the first school in the south for freed enslaved people started just a few years before the civil war began so there was this sense of pride and heritage for me being um from the sea islands during my youth words Gullah and Geechee were rarely used uh during the 70s I believe Gullah Uh, Was considered uh, those people, the culture thereof, who were descendants of West Africans, but who lived in South Carolina and North Carolina, the Carolina colony. And Geechee was the same demographic, but of those who were descendants of West Africans who lived in Georgia and Florida, the Georgia colony and no one really or few people resonated with pride to the word Golo or Gichi. Those are fighting words. Um, It was a sense that if those who identified were of low intelligence, they spoke to this strange way and one should speak English as fluently and fluidly as possible. Mm -hmm. But even as a, and that's the way that I thought that I spoke, because my mother was one of the one-room school teachers who mm-hmm. had been trained at the Penn School. Both of my graduates were, both of my parents were graduates of Penn School. There was a certain way that you carried yourself, a certain way that you spoke. There was an understanding that our ancestry was African, but there was a little knowledge about what that meant. But uh, when I went to Hampton Institute uh, in Hampton, Virginia, now Hampton University, people heard something different about my speech. As I said, I thought I spoke eloquently. But there was something in my intonation. um, People would ask, well, you were born here, but your parents weren't. Or your parents were born in this country, but you weren't. Were you? Well, I'm from an island, and I congregated with you know other Islanders from Jamaica the West Indies and they would answer so where are you from uh St Thomas uh Trinidad Jamaica and I would um I would say St Helena yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: so they thought I was from some yeah. far away island but um, I'm from Ri you know in yeah. South Carolina
1: <laughs> and that is I mean you know if People realize that. That's an environmental thing. Because if you take, say, if you take 20 people, Mm -hmm. right, you put them on an island together, and they live that way for 20 years or however long it was, and that's what they hear every day, Mm -hmm. that's how they're going to sound when they're outside of that environment, right? The speech ways,
0: uh, the culture, the spirituality, the belief, the food ways, um, the other cultural practices... Of those from these other West um, African diasporic communities shows the connection of these different cultures.
1: Mm-hmm. We are very much the same people. Our ancestors come from the same homeland. Having the spirituality and so forth, when you had trauma to say someone, you know, previous to your life, right, that they say that trauma is carried through. Each generation. Oh, yeah. Was something like that recognized? Oh, yes. The ancestral and, trauma?
0: And still is. But though there are many who don't realize or how deeply it is rooted.
1: Yeah, interesting. When you think about this, if... I don't know if I said this to you when we talked before, is if people realize that skin color was environmental, why do we have all this nonsense? Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, I don't think it... You know, why is that not ever discussed? Right. Right? When skin color is just environmental. Yes. You know, and it's a, it makes it very simple. It should. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's a very simple discussion at that yes, point. Yes,
0: but people want to make it very complicated.
1: Yeah. hmm And you said your mother yes. was dialed in. Right? Mm-hmm. And what is what was that like? Did you, you know, if you have a mother that's kind of dialed into her spirituality and so forth, and maybe you, did you think that was a normal thing? How did you deal oh, with that with your peers? Well, my mother was born with a call—that's a filmy membrane covering the head—and
0: it was believed that those who were born with calls had special powers. Uh, she uh, said that even as a child, the sick were brought to her. To be touched or just breathed on because it was thought that healing powers flowed through her veins. And I realized um, that as an adult, my mother could understand the thoughts of others, even though they may not have expressed those thoughts verbally. Mm -hmm. She could just, and in a sense, um, I'm, I'm able to do so as well. Uh- uh-huh. um, This is a part of the spirituality, the, um, the the use of the energies with
1: which which surround us and which some are able to tap into. You know, we deal in absolutes, right? Everybody deals in these absolutes. and I always say that you got to look at where the percentages started. Mm-hmm. right? So if, if there was a narrative and percentage one started with this narrative, hundred years later, we have a hundred percentages. Mm-hmm. of all these different pieces. So, and they, people look back and they look at this narrative when it started with that very first percentage, right? And they try to, they try to claim these narratives as an absolute, but what they're not taking into consideration is, is the, from the one percentage to the hundred percentage, what's in between? You can't fault pe- the situations in between to press an absolute on them. Okay, I have this spiritual thing. And this Hebrew, this Hebrew bloodline thing is something I was told that was the bloodline that would protect you from the dark side. And when I get around indigenous people nor whatever if they are spiritually connected like my hand starts going off okay you know if you think about that and you think about bringing slaves over and the indigenous people that are here in the salt of the earth type of spirituality maybe there's there's a narrative there that kind of uh that this person here this person that may not have this Hebrew bloodline has been fighting for thousands and thousands of years because these are the people that were the true spiritual people of the earth okay that's just a rationale I mean I don't know but Mm I but I, I can feel that physically when I get around certain people do you what do you think about have you ever heard anything like that or any you look now what's going on in the world yeah. They're trying to eliminate indigenous people. Mm-hmm. seems like they're trying to eliminate these types of bloodlines for some reason. Right. And why? Exactly why? Why are they doing that? I mean, I don't know if I'm right or wrong. This well, is just a rationale I, 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 that, I, I, that is interesting. There were
0: um, many of the Gullah Geechee people, the enslaved Africans, who were the ancestors of were known, known today as Gullah Geechee people, did intermarry with Native groups. And sometimes it was because they were in search of freedom and they caught up. But there was a connection, there was an understanding, there was a developing relationship of shared beliefs. And look at the number of uh, Native groups who were forced away from their homelands. In the same way as uh, due to uh, development, many Gullah Gigi people who who have um, you know homelands from the time of the Civil War, acres and acres of land, or land that's near the the waterways, because those were needed for day to day sustenance, fishing, um, farming, shrimping, etc. But these developers are removing these people away from the, this waterfront properties in the same ways as the native people were moved away from these lands, these homelands that were important for the sustenance of their culture. And why? So that money can be amassed, so that more money can be brought in, so that culture would only be identified by those people who, now, who would now
1: amass the land. When you think of the beginning of time, and there was one, two people that started out, right? Say so if they were the Atlanteans or whoever they were, mm-hmm. they were around water. Right. Maybe that's another, you know, close to source type of scenario, you know? If if these you know, if the spiritual people are along the coast, mm-hmm. right? I mean, all these rationales make a lot of sense. Yes. You realize that color of your skin was environmental, and you look at where people supposedly started in the world, and you base that. There's going to be a lot of narratives that are out there today that will be debunked if you look at it from the foundation and the truth.
0: Correct. And it's a matter of who controls the narrative that makes it that makes all the importance. I'm, I want to read a section from um, We Wear the Mask and it deals with Mabel. Mabel is the house servant. Mabel is the wife of Brutus who is the slave driver and Brutus has just been had an interaction with the MacLeod, um, Massa McLeod. Um, As he worked and Mabel had never seen her husband so stressed before. He would not eat the meal she'd prepared. He would start to talk to her, then stop, start to pace, then sigh, start to talk, stop, pace. Then sigh, start to talk, stop pace. Then sigh, Brutus. She urged quietly to steady him. Brutus, wanna have a talk to me? Wanna have to tell me what's on a mind? If wanna ain't tell me, what I go do? Me ain't know what for doin'. It go kill me, Yeti me. And if I dead, we child go dead too. Don't make me for dead, Brutus. Talk. Open your mouth. Slow, slow now. Talk. When the dam opened. The floodwaters of Brutus's sorrows were unleashed, and the anguish and the hopes of the captured African thousands who had been brought unwillingly to America's shores were left capsized. Veiled untruths were the only things left hovering over the waters that the africans had been brought from a worse life to a better that as slaves they were treated in this, in the ways of they were trained in the ways of civilization that they had been given the opportunity to become christians in a christian land instead of remaining heathens in a savage country that slave owners were kind hearted and kept their property healthy and contented, and the most ostentatious and seemingly unthinkable masquerade. That slavery was a necessary evil to ensure that enslavers, a more intelligent class, amassed wealth. While the enslaved, an inferior and culture-less people, existed only to labor in a watershed of tears the African couple embraced. They invoked the presence of the spirit of infinite God and the ancestors and prayed that their unborn child, their slave-row family, They prayed for their strength. You have Mm -hmm. two books here. Two books, yes.
1: We Wear the Mask. And
0: Turtle Dove Dundroofed His Wings, a tale of fight or flight.
1: Fight or flight is a very interesting term. You
0: will either fight or flight if something offends you or surprises you. And in this story, um, it compares and contrasts our human nature through a group of low country birds engaged in a spiritual Journey toward creating thrust that which propels us to a better future built on the legacy of the past. Now it's a gr- it's a book about these low country birds. They're starting this brand new organization, unlike any organization that has existed before. And I think readers will find um, similarities if they've been involved in any type of organization or club um, at school at church, in their communities, there are those who act in different dysfunctional ways. And if you're trying to get something started, if you're working on a purpose, it's a matter of fight or flight Mm -hmm. whether that purpose will be attained.
1: When you say a spiritual journey, what Mm -hmm. was the journey?
0: The journey was so that they could create thrust. They had to develop a plan so that this organization would be managed correctly um, for the benefit of all of the low country birds. Now, there are characters. There's Turtledove, and Turtledove has a gifting. Turtledove can sense, as the birds are in their meeting, they can sense, Turtledove can sense what the other birds are thinking, and he asks questions so that the others can see that sometimes what this in, uh, bird is thinking and this. They 're the very same thing, but they 're clawing at each other. Now, is this what you mean? Turtledove would ask, and some people uh, or some of the birds begin they, they, they have an issue. They think that turtledove and every turtledove raises his wing only to ask a question to make sure that everyone is communicating correctly saying the very same thing, understanding what the other bird is saying, that uh, turtle dove is just trying to cause confusion. So there is all that a stalemate develops with these people, these birds trying to, you know, get turtle to fly away. But sometimes just staying quiet is the best fight to find out what actually will happen mm-hmm. and they do create thrust at the end uh there are chapters it's a it's an easy read um and every chapter ends and there was evening and there was morning the first day
1: when i said earlier in the conversation that is not like this information more present like current narrative today Mm -hmm. Very divided to some extent, right? But is the narrative and the information, if they approach the information and the narrative from the foundation of what we're talking about, could the narrative today be tweaked more so people could have a better understanding? It could. Proud
0: and pleased to say that concerning Gullah Geechee culture and heritage, that was uh, the emphasis um, for uh, the Gullah Geechee Cultural Heritage Corridor Commission, which was is a very unique organization, just like this autobound council of low country birds. Um, and it had to develop a way of changing the narrative of the thought of who uh, Gullah Geechee people are and the significance of our heritage. is a way of... See, could say creating thrust mm-hmm. being able to fly and um, the story ends and on a day-to-day basis afterward after the audubon rookery has a thi- has achieved thrust barred owl has watched the unfolding of a vision below the limbs of angel oak and beyond among poults and parents mating birds and elder skyhawks Come your birds, in your birds, preening peacocks and nondescript birds from throughout the world, an environment that celebrates the legacy and continuing contrib- contributions of low country birds to our American Audubon heritage. Sing hallelujah, barred owl. Rooted, and the responding words of the Low Country spiritual resounded throughout the Audubon rookery. Sing hallelujah, sing hallelujah, sing hallelujah
1: down in the valley. Sing hallelujah. When I sit here and talk to you, right, and we we walk through some of this, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I, and, I, and you understand if you understand. The rationale that we've been talking about on this on the podcast, you know, it seems like if you look at a pop culture, if you look at pop culture narratives, it seems like only the it's like these buzz words or these buzz situations kind of cover up the pieces. Yes, how do we get these pieces out there more? Right, with an absolute. That's why I was thinking about understanding where the percentages start instead of going on absolute. And you're not defining, I think if you're going on absolute, you need to define the foundation.
0: You do. And these two books are the beginning of my, what I call, my Geechee Literature Series. Because remember I had said earlier, Geechee, Gullab, or Finding Words. During my childhood, few people wanted to be identified as such. And when one thinks of literature, the way that people, or examples of how people live from day to day. Today, Geechee was something you wanted to stay away from. Mm -hmm. But this attempt of a Geechee literature series is to show Gullah Geechee culture as contemporary. Mm -hmm. So hopefully, people will read them uh, these books. They will listen to the audio books, and they will then identify with, oh, that is similar to something from my day-to-day experience. Something from my family life, and it is significant to me, and therefore I should be promoting it to others, not from a sense of shame, but from a sense of just love and knowledge and awareness of the importance of who I am and who my people are.
1: Yeah, and I think knowledge is a big term there, Mm -hmm. right? And I think that if you look at curriculum that they pick and choose yes and to put in schools you know it's all negative mm-hmm. right instead of curriculum and in, in schools about the intelligence of uh, a language that started with the west african people this is an intelligence thing so they could communicate around these white people who are controlling them right correct why isn't that in the curriculum in schools
0: well from what i understand from some who have spoken about their opposition to uh literature or certain types of literature because it makes their children feel bad and we can't have anything that makes
1: because you're giving somebody intelligence correct
0: but (laughs) your intelligence grows with your the full amount of information that you are exposed to
1: Mm-hmm. So that
0: you have a choice in what it is that you believe in
1: mm-hmm. and a reason for your belief. Do you do you think some of these narratives that are supported today, these pop culture narratives that are supported today, are completely opposite uh, than what they really mean?
0: I do, but there are narratives that some people want to drive so that they can continue with a way of life and a way of thought that promotes them as superior.
1: Mhm. Interesting. And you said you do this your your drive is from being intuitive, right? Yes. What is what is that like? What is that experience like when you you get these stories? What is that like to you? Is it this, is it just like an everyday thing? Is it a certain situation, certain time that you have, may have this experience where you feel like you got to get this story out? What is that? Well, um, uh, I'll begin
0: by saying this. Now, um, I my first job after graduating from college was as a newspaper reporter at the Beaver Gazette first African-American newspaper reporter at the Beaufort Gazette. Um, and I began doing um, feature stories of many uh, people whom I had grown up under on St. Helena Island. When I, when I left the Beaufort Gazette, I continued writing, and I, uh, my first book, Reminiscences of Sea Island Heritage, was a continuation of these feature stories of these, the elders Uh, Telling about beliefs, customs, old songs. Um, And uh, I've continued with that kind of writing, informative writing, um, for years. But with the uh, publication of these two books or the creation of these two books, I began to take all of that factual information and utilizing them in fiction and it was just an impulse this is what you need to do and even though I be, I began writing these stories and there are characters or the characters in We wear the mask. Uh, The names of many of these characters are uh, names of uh, people from my community, St. Helena Island, who are featured in the Face of an Island book that was published in 1970. There were these glass plates that had been found prior to 1970 underneath one of the old buildings at Penn Center, which evolved from Penn School. Many thought these were window panes, and we we're going to discard them. But fortunately, someone uh, did some investigating. These were class negatives. These were photos that had been taken by Richard Lee Minor during the late 1800s and early 1900s, many of which, there's a picture of my mother um, in the Face of an Island book when she was nine years old, a student at Penn School and numerous others whom I grew up under. So I used the names of these real-life characters, and the information of historical information, many of which I had gathered or did research on. And as I went through the writing process, these characters began to speak to me, and I allowed them to write the story. If I started this run, you know, at some point, no, this is not what you need to say, this is what you need to say. Uh, don't, Don't say that like this, say this like this. So that's a part to answer your question, <laughs> how yeah. I allowed that process yeah. to happen.
1: Well, I think it's a, it's a combination of things, right? You, you go through life and you learn all these different rationales, mm-hmm. right? And then if you know characters, right, and they fit in, in a position, mm-hmm. right, and then there's a little intuitiveness there, right, then you can put those, those storylines together a little better, right?
0: Yes, mm-hmm. I've been looking for, for, we wear the mask. I had been looking for a an old African story, and I found a Wolof story, and Celia Mudsnake, one of the animal characters, she remembers this story um, that had been told to her by Grandpa Serpent, and she recounts this story. The farmer, the heron, and the, I forgot the title, but... At the end of retelling this story, she realizes people don't know gratitude, she says to herself. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the story, you know, with the enslaved family having these nightmares, and it's all about these black animals and different things that were going on in their family and different things that were happening in the family of the enslaved people. And it's the animals who understood what was going on with both groups of People and it's the animals who gathered and they write a whole new story yeah. about what the meaning of what what has gone gone on. And that story after that retold narrative, written by Juba Bunny Rabbit, and since that day, a long time ago, many have found a new way and want others to know that wherever steeds gallop, snakes writhe. And rabbit's hop, a story that makes the ancestors smile, can be heard by all who stop to hear it and receive it and not consider it a task to live
1: authentic lives that don't
0: require wearing a
1: mask. Well, I think you have a a plethora of information that a lot of people need uh, need to know about. Need to hear about? I really do. I mean, there's a lot of simple rationales there and understanding, you know, how these pieces tie together. And, and one, you know, because I like I said that, uh, you know, you don't hear the p pe- all the pieces mm-hmm. of the culture and what was going on at the time, and really understanding that we don't hear all those pieces. So I think. These are a lot of integral pieces that should be out there on a a national, mainstream level. Even just, you know, to educate more and more people, you know, because you don't know what you don't know. You don't.
0: You don't. For those who feel that they may, uh, they are Galagichi challenged for reading and understanding, though it's written phonetically, Um, We Wear the Mask is available as an audiobook on audible.com. And I am narrating it. Um, both books are available on Amazon.com. And they also are available for autographed copies at my Etsy shop, which is www.etsy.com slash shop slash slash Literature. Yeah,
1: you just recently retired, you said?
0: Yes, I retired uh, after 18 years. Um, of service at Brookgreen Gardens, which is our country's premier sculpture garden, located in Myrtle's Inlet, South Carolina. It was established um, in 1932 on four former rice plantations by the Huntington's, and uh, because of the uh, heritage on the grounds of these four former rice plantations. One of my initiatives that I established was promoting uh, interpretation, particularly of Gullah Geechee heritage,
1: as in the in the Lowcountry region
0: of South Carolina.
1: And then prior to that, you had a, you had a little TV series run for how long?
0: Yes, it wasn't quite little because that was a that was big stuff. That was a big deal, right? <laughs> it was called Gullah Gullah Island, a show of the nineteen. 19- uh, it started in 1994 and it was production in production through 1999 on Nick wow. Jr. TV, and it was broadcast internationally.
1: Wow, wow! So you had a pretty good run with that. Huh? That mm-hmm. was your family. Yes, right. Nice, nice. Well, appreciate you coming in, Ron. And if you need to know anything, Gola, uh, Gola Gichi. Yeah. Um any literature and information I think there's a lot of information here there's a lot of pieces here that could really solve a lot of questions that are out there today mm-hmm. but like I said appreciate you coming out from Georgetown and we we'll, yes. I think we I think we got some good information here I well, thank you. And I think uh, people can listen to this ni- now or they can listen to this in 10 years and be educated. Some ever very evergreen. So right. thank you Mr. Ron Days and uh, for being on the show and I'm John Edmonds Cosma, the CEO of Bang Productions. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you.